Welcome to the Sensibly Speaking Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and here with video on YouTube. This is episode number 129, and it is being posted on February 10th, which has a very special significance in the world of Scientology, Scientology critics, Scientology watchers. Uh, It was 10 years ago today that uh, Anonymous, the uh, activist, hacktivist, hacker group, however you want to describe them, and, and there has been lots of descriptions used for them, uh, they, on February 10th of 2008, 10 years ago, they launched a worldwide protest of Scientology, all, and it was insanely huge. None of them really had any idea how many people were going to be coming out for that protest, they were expecting some, you know, some people, but it was gigantic, and it was nothing like anything the Church of Scientology had ever had to deal with before. Uh, I was in the uh, Sea Org at that time, and I was actually in on February tenth, ten years ago. I was still on the RPF, the Rehabilitation Project Force, which is Scientology's re-education camp uh, where I was sort of located, and I was at the tail end of my program. I graduated the program in 2008, Uh, but I was still there, still wearing uh, gray t-shirts, black jeans, and boots, running around all the time, and trying to desperately to finish off getting through that program that I had been on for three years. And um, and I think, in fact, I think it was, what, was it February, March, April, May? Yeah, in fact, it had been about three years that I'd been on the program at that point. I still hadn't, I didn't know how much longer I was going to be on it, but I was on it for another three months uh, when I finally graduated that thing. Uh, so Anonymous comes along, and let me give you a little backstory on this in case you aren't familiar with what this is all about. Uh, in 2008, in January... Um, there had been a video posted uh, of Tom Cruise, and he was talking uh, at a mad rate and in a very excited state about Scientology and about his experiences with it and his attitude about it. And he was wearing a black, this is the black turtleneck video, if you've seen this or want to care to look this up. Uh, this was, uh, it was, you know, nobody understood half of what he was saying if you weren't in the world of Scientology. And this had been a clip, or uh, this video had been a section of a Scientology event. And I think it was from 2006. I, I might have the year wrong on that. It might have been five or something. But it was, um, it was a year when, yeah, in fact, I think it was 2004, 2005, because I was still not on the RPF when this when Tom Cruise's when this event happened there was an event uh, an international briefing within the world of Scientology where Tom Cruise was awarded the IAS the International Association of Scientologists Freedom of uh, Freedom Medal but he got the special amped up award which was the Freedom Medal of Valor and nobody had ever received that before and David Miscavige was uh, was just raining admiration down on Tom Cruise, 
And so at this event, this International Association of Scientologists anniversary event, he received this award. And they did this video interview with him before he went up on stage where he talked about, you know, how wonderful Scientology was and how suppressive people were around and they needed to be dealt with and how he, Tom Cruise, was such a great Scientologist. So this video makes him look a bit nutty. And so when it went, and it was never meant to be seen by anyone outside of the church. So when it went up on the internet, of course, Scientology went kind of insane in efforts and made many, many efforts to try to get the video taken down as copyrighted material. Well, Anonymous got wind of Scientology doing this and felt that this was a violation of free speech and, you know, data wants to be free, and, you know, here was this information about Scientology that they were trying to cover up, and so they mirrored this video around in different places on the internet so that it wouldn't go down, and, of course, it went, you know, somewhat viral, it being about Tom Cruise, and things just kind of went downhill from there, because... What ended up happening was the church successfully got it taken down then, or, or something like that in this battle between Anonymous and the church. And this caused Anonymous, these members of, of Anonymous, to start looking into Scientology more. And that's when they hit on all of the information that the critics of Scientology, former members of Scientology, had been posting for years about its abuses, the human rights violations, the, the fact that you know, um, that uh, there was physical abuse, mental abuse, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, Of course, the money-making scam aspect of Scientology was very obvious. And so, and then, of course, South Park had already aired. Uh, I think that was in 2005 that that episode came out, the, the, you know, Tom Cruise, you know, won't come out of the closet episode, where they laid out the whole Xenu narrative. And so Anonymous saw that, and they saw all this information. They went, wow, these guys are just absolutely nuts, and we're going to take them down. And so they started uh, planning um, actions to take against the church. And being a loose-knit bunch of mostly teens and young people, they had some pretty wild ideas about how to go about doing that in the most, you know, crazy uh, propaganda uh, way, you know, that would get attention. That's what I mean by the propaganda there. Excuse me. And uh, they uh, posted, um, now I'm reading from Tony Ortega's blog here because he helped fill in some blanks for me because I obviously, like I said, I wasn't out of the church at that time. I was as deep in as you could possibly be when this was all going down. So I was not around to see any of this for, for much of this. I'll go into later on here uh, what my experience was with all this. But um, yeah, they tried to get the video taken down and they declared war on Scientology, Anonymous did, in a two-minute video that they posted on January 21st, 2008. And then six days later, Mark Bunker, uh, wise beard man, <laughs> Uh, and great, uh, you know, never in Scientology, but a, but a wonderful man and, and somebody who's done a lot to put a lot of information out there about Scientology. He posted a video to Anonymous saying, hey, guys, you know, don't do anything illegal. Be, you know, do this. If you're going to do this, you got to do this right, because Scientology is not somebody that you take on lightly. So and they listened to him to their credit. And so 
Um, they announced on January 24th, 2008, that February 10th was going to be this International Day of Protest. And, of course, by February 10th, they had rallied the troops and thousands, thousands of people came out all over the world. All right. Now, um, my schedule at that time was, uh, as an RPFer, was I was up early in the morning, I think about 6.30 or so, we were getting up 6.45, and we would go to muster, have a 20-minute breakfast, and then muster up again and get to um, study. We were doing our, our, what was called on the RPF, it's called redemption time. So for five hours in the morning, we were doing auditing on each other and, and doing ethics actions on each other in order to uh, you know, rehabilitate each other as Scientologists is the idea. And you're twinned up with another person. And I won't explain the whole RPF program here. I've, we've, we've done other episodes about that. But I was busy, uh, in other words. And I was in the basement, sequestered away from the rest of the world. And not just, I mean, kind of in a bubble within the bubble world of the, you know, the Sea Org's already a bubble. And then I'm in a bubble in that bubble, which was the RPF. So, uh, so you know, I did not get out a lot. <laughs> and, um, and when this uh, protest happened, we heard about it. I mean, it, it was so big and so dramatic and so unavoidable uh, that even we on the RPF were aware of it. We, as sequestered Sea Org members, we could only go out during certain times. When you're on the RPF, you're not supposed to be seen by other Sea Org members. You're supposed to be, you know, off and away and out of everybody's sight. Nobody's seeing you or thinking about you uh, while you basically handle your you know, handle your shit on the RPF. Uh, that's the kind of, that's the attitude about it, at least, right? So, um, but when we had to come out in order, like after lunch or during the afternoons when we were doing our work, because after lunch, we would get to work. And our lunch was usually, I think, around 1130 or something or, or, or one, no, I think it was at 130. It was after everybody else's lunch. We would do our lunch period, which was a 20-minute deal, and then we would muster up again and go head out to all the various projects we were doing, which were heavy labor, heavy physical labor type projects. Um, you know, heavy cleaning, heavy grounds work, setting up events. Um, in other words, like physically setting up, literally creating stages, setting up chairs, or in the mill making furniture, this kind of, of, of heavy labor. So, but when, but in order for us to get to those places where we would do that work, of course, we had to go outside, or we had to get there somehow. And this was these protests had sort of, they were so big, so many people showing up that they had uh, created a lot of chaos with Scientology and with the Sea Org. Right uh, now, I was in Los Angeles. I didn't say that. I didn't mention this already, but I was in Los Angeles at this time, where the the big blue buildings are. This was a this is a central headquarters for Scientology in the Western United States, and the second largest group of Scientologists anywhere in the world outside of uh, Clearwater, Florida. There's Los Angeles and there's Clearwater. Those are the two big, big established bases and and places where there's a lot of Sea Org and a lot of Scientologists. So these protests had disrupted things because the church had responded to this by hiding. <laughs> um, and here is how they, what they called it was, the, was a security drill, okay? 
Uh, and, and of course, everybody saw what was happening and everybody was freaking out because Scientology had never seen this kind of mass protest before. So we were like, oh, you know, like we mean in the Sea Org, uh, the security guys and the Office of Special Affairs guys whose, whose task it was to deal with this. Uh, they were overwhelmed. They had no idea how to deal with all these people, most of them in masks. They didn't know who these people were. They, most of them were not Scientologists or former Scientologists, so they had no identification of them, no means of finding out who they were because they're running around in masks. I mean, it was just, it was just, it must have been total anarchy for, for security in the Sea Org. But what they decided to do uh, for, for any future protests, because can, protests continued to happen throughout the year, and they were not as big as the first one on February 10th, but they did continue. And so what they decided to do was sequester all the Scientologists on the base, right? If protesters appeared, the base got locked down. All the doors uh, closed, windows covered, and nobody could go outside to see these protesters during this during these periods. So the protesters would show up, and suddenly the street was clear. There's nobody walking around. Where'd everybody go, right? And they're protesting, but nobody's there to see the protest was sort of the idea, right? Sort of... Uh, the tactic here was was to depower the protesters by not giving by not feeding into what they were uh, doing or saying or letting any Scientologists see what they were see, what they were you know carrying these card these these placards around uh, and not hear what they were saying because of course they were chanting various things right uh, some of the things that were on these these placards and some of the things they were saying was were confidential Scientology information, upper-level information from the South Park episode. They talk about Xenu and these kinds of things, right? And, of course, the, the, the protesters were, were sort of very tongue-in-cheek and making a lot of fun of this, but the Sea Org takes this stuff very seriously. And, um, and where they had had some protesters over the years come along with placards that had OT material... In other words, confidential materials written on the on the placards on the on the signs they were carrying around. What the church would do is they would have a high level Scientologist, somebody who had already read all the Xenu stuff and done all those levels. They would come out with uh, placards or signs of their own and try to get next to the protester on the sidewalk, let's say, and cover up their sign so nobody could see it. Right, and this was, you know, the, as long as they weren't getting into physical altercations or assaulting each other, this was all perfectly legal. And so this was how they were countering it. But but when all these people showed up, the church had, you know, the Sea Org didn't know what to do with all this. So they decided that they would sequester all the Scientologists and lock everything down in the in the base on on the base of of. Uh, Cedars complex, there are tunnels underneath all the buildings. You don't see, you don't see these obviously, but they even go under the street. L. Ron Hubbard Way, that red tiled, that brick tiled street, has tunnels underneath it, and you can get around from one building to another uh, without going outside. And this was how we and the RPF got around a lot. Sometimes we had to go outside because our work, uh, you know, was was exterior work when we were painting or, or cleaning or, some, or setting up events and this kind of thing. Um, 
But what the what security ended up doing was turning all these tunnels into public pathways where they would open up the doors to the basements and the public were directed to go, you know, into these areas. And and uh, and as long as the protesters were on the base, this is what they were doing. And it's interesting that, you know, they basically tried to pretend that the protesters didn't exist. And this is interesting because uh, from the inside the world of Scientology, the idea with people who are against Scientology or people who speak out against it or who are trying to counter Scientology's efforts, they're referred to as suppressive people, right? Uh, right now, I am a suppressive person, according to the Church of Scientology. And this is basically a label that indicates that the person is anti-goodwill, uh, is, is, is against people getting better, is against Scientology, right? All these things equal, you know, horrible, awful, antisocial person. And if you have the point of view that Scientology is the greatest thing in the world and it's the best thing that's ever existed, then, of course, you'd have the idea that anybody who's against it is a bad person. And that's what the church assumes. So all these protesters were all a bunch of bad guys. And they weren't necessarily all being called SPs or suppressive people, but they were being called enemies of the church. The policy and the various issues that Hubbard has written about how to deal with suppressive people is to confront and shatter them. Okay, this is, this is a little mantra within Scientology. You're supposed to be, as a Scientologist, an exemplary example of Hubbard's works and his advice on how to handle life and how to handle people. And Scientologists really believe that they have the cornered the market on psychology, on, on, on spirituality, on anything having to do with life. And so they really think that they've got it, they really understand everything about how people work, how the mind works, how emotions work, and and how we are spiritual entities who are trapped in this you know physical existence. So over the years, when individuals have taken on the church, the church has squashed them. This was this was you know long history of this, right? We call this fair gaming, and they've used legal means and illegal means and illicit means to squash people who spoke against them. So the church's policy up until Anonymous came around was if somebody fought the church, the church fought back ten times harder, squashed the person, ruined them utterly, and this was called in in the church parlance or in the church idea of how things work, this was called confronting and shattering suppression. And there's even a course, a class that is offered within Scientology called the PTSSP course, or the it, PTS stands for Potential Trouble Source, which is somebody who's connected to one of these suppressive people, and of course SP stands for Suppressive People. So the PTSSP course teaches you all about how to deal with, how to identify, label, and deal with suppressive people, or PTS people, people who are connected to these SPs. Uh, so it turned out that when push came to shove, and, there, and a lot of people came after uh, Scientology, Scientology folded, because <laughs> they couldn't deal with this. They didn't know how to. And so they could not confront and shatter 
all this suppression. And so they hid from it, and they pretended it didn't exist. And that was uh, very confusing to a lot of us within Scientology, because we had been trained. When I was on the RPF, I redid this PTSSP course for like the third time. It had been revised and changed over the years, and, and there's been various iterations of it. So I had just done the latest and greatest version of this course as part of my RPF program. And so when I, uh, you know, so by, by I think it was uh, March, April, I think it was May, I think by May of, of 2008, I had graduated the RPF. And I was seeing these, now I was out and about on the base, and I was seeing these protesters every now and again. And I was always scratching my head at this idea that we all had to go run inside and hide. Never made any sense to me. And I know it didn't make sense to a lot of other Sea Org members, too. But this is what we were told to do, so we weren't going to, you know, disobey our, our orders or direction. But it just seemed odd. Um, and contrary to, you know, why aren't we out there dealing with these guys? Why aren't we, you know, talking to them? Why aren't we finding out what's going on with them? Well... Then we start. Then I started getting involved in the in the briefings that we were being given uh, to the entire base, where we were told by OSA staff members that anonymous was being funded. Uh, okay, let me let me back up a second here before I get into all the details of this. Um, in the Church of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard came up with a uh, when you're when you when you come up with a cover story. Or some kind of uh, thing to tell people when you when you can't tell them the truth about something. Uh, generally, people who are not Scientologists. Okay, this isn't necessarily internal, um, but you have what's called a shore story. Okay, if you're on a if you if you look at it from the point of view of the Sea Org and ships and being out on the ocean, you come into a port of call, right? And you and you have a shore story. What is it you guys are doing there? Why is the ship in this port right now, and where? what are you doing, right? Well, whatever the shore story is, it doesn't have to be the truth, and most often, often it was not. So this term carried on over the years, and it became this term for what you tell the public uh, if, you know, you're in a tricky situation or some, you know, it's a, it's a rote line or a, or a pat answer for some situation that has to be dealt with. It's usually some kind of a PR situation. I hope I'm explaining this clearly. So we, the crew, were now being fed a short story about Anonymous because OSA and security had to deal with this, and they they were all thumbs. They were like, oh, you know, these guys. So they started investigating Anonymous. They tried to find out who these guys were. They tried to find out why they were doing these protests. And I believe that once they found out why Anonymous was were doing these protests, because they were protesting the Tom Cruise video coming down, they were protesting the human rights violations, they were protesting the ridiculousness of Scientology. Well, we couldn't be told any of that, because that would make the church look bad. And we, the Sea Org, we're the core. We're the core group of Scientology. We can't have a bad. We can't ever be questioning what's going on. We can't ever be told that there are people out there who think Scientology is ridiculous. And we certainly can't be told about South Park and Xenu because all of that is super hush, confidential information. 
So we get told a short story that Anonymous is being paid by Big Pharma to carry out these protests. They're being paid in cash. They're being paid in pizza. And they are just a bunch of basement-dwelling computer geeks who, you know, jerk off to porn all day. And this was something that was presented to them as something new and exciting to do by representatives of some shady conspiracy that was put together by Big Pharma. And, of course, the reason why Big Pharma would attack Scientology is back in 2008. This was when Tom Cruise was on TV still gunning for Brooke Shields and, you know, gunning for Matt Lauer and jumping around on Oprah's couch and, you know, making all... And he Tom Cruise was much more open and out there about Scientology. And so, um, and we were shown those videos, not of him jumping around on a couch, but of him taking on Matt Lauer and Brooke Shields and all this. And um, and so, you know, we thought Tom Cruise was being the, the vanguard, you know, dissemination machine, the, the, the superstar that was going to bring Scientology to the world. At this time, this is what we were being told and what we thought. So, um, so we were told that Tom Cruise and, and, and the, the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, which is a subgroup of Scientology that deals with uh, trying to eradicate psychiatry from the world, uh, we were told that CCHR and Tom Cruise and the, and the Church of Scientology in general was so effective at taking out Ritalin and Xanax and, and Prozac and all these, you know, psychotropic medications that the church is against. They were so effective at that that Big Pharma had to try to take us out at this, the Scientology. And the way they were going to do that was to <laughs> stage these protests with all these, you know, teens and young people jumping around in masks and doing all these strange things. This was, this was how Big Pharma was coming after us. Well... I, you know, have to say that I absolutely bought into that. At the time, that made, you know, as much sense as anything else because I had no internet access. I had, I had, no, I had zero at this point. But, you know, when I first got off the RPF in 2008, later in that year, I was nowhere near the internet. No Sea Org members were, except, you know, very uh, high-level Sea Org members in, with, deep within OSA or within security. And even they didn't have free reign to look at whatever they wanted to, but they had enough to figure out what was going on. So we, not having any clue, and being told this by senior church executives, we figured, okay, well, this must be what's going on, right? We're, we're being very successful. We're being very uh, effective in taking out psychiatry and in taking out all these psychotropic medications. And so this is how you know, Big Pharma is going to deal with us. And this was also supported by L. Ron Hubbard himself, because he had written a policy uh, called Signs of Success. It's a very short policy. And in this policy letter, L. Ron Hubbard refers to squirrels. Now, he's not talking about the animal, uh, the little rodents that run around in the trees. He's talking about people who are against Scientology or people who are using Scientology um, harmfully or who leave Scientology and still practice, okay? All of independent Scientology, anybody who leaves the church and still does Scientology, is called a squirrel by the church, okay? And uh, they might call them other things too, but they will always refer to them as squirrels. 
So Hubbard wrote in 1958 this policy, and he said, whenever we're really winning, the squirrels start to scream. You can tell if somebody is a squirrel. They howl or make trouble only when we're winning. Spectacular success can quadruple the number of complaints. Tell the complainees, come in, get clear, otherwise skip it. To understand a squirrel, consider the reaction of somebody who could not run the fifth leg of help. I'm not going to read that. Hubbard then goes on to talk about how squirrels hate the idea of somebody getting helped or of trying to help other people. He says that squirrels just go crazy with this because they're incapable of helping anybody else. In fact, he says they can't view other people helping others without going berserk. He says there's nothing personal in having squirrels. Even heroes can have lice. L. Ron Hubbard. So this was a policy that we were definitely paying attention to in the church. And so every time we started getting attacked, we would pull out this policy and go, oh, well, the only reason we're being attacked is because we're so effective and we're doing such a great job. Right? (laughs) Wonderful cognitive dissonance. And this was, and so that, along with these briefings from the Office of Special Affairs, definitely gave us the idea that we were making inroads into the world and we were going to succeed and this was going to be great. We later were given a DVD that was produced by the Office of Special Affairs, which labeled all of Anonymous as basically a bunch of criminals and terrorists, and that they had. Uh, We were told that they had made bomb threats against the church, that they had been invading private property, that they had been um, vandalizing church property. I mean, there were all kinds of claims made, which I learned after I left Scientology that those claims were false and that the church had set up its own uh, bomb threats and its own nonsense and had blamed Anonymous for these things, right? Uh, They were trying to set up Anonymous, which is... Par for the course for Scientology. That's what they do when they try to squash and ruin people is they set them up, right, to get in trouble with the law. So, of course, this is, you know, this just it's just the standard Church of Scientology playbook. So they were running that playbook as best they could against this group of people, and they were looking desperately for the leaders of Anonymous. And by its very nature, of course, Anonymous didn't have leaders as such, so, the, so Scientology really had its work cut out for it. Now, that all being, you know, what this 10-year anniversary is. Today is the day that this first protest happened uh, 10 years ago. And, uh, and I want to commemorate it because I, you know, have made mention many times about how Anonymous was a key turning point in the public awareness battle against Scientology. There had been many ex-members and critics of Scientology before 2008 who had been doing a really bang-up job bringing the truth about their experiences and about Scientology out there, but very rarely were these being picked up by the media. Very rarely were these stories being told, not anywhere near as much as they are now. And so, because they weren't getting out there that often... Because the media was reluctant to pick up stories about Scientology because of its litigious nature, um, you know, a lot of people just did the, the public awareness of what Scientology was really all about was very, very low. 
people knew that Scientology existed, but they kind of considered it sort of a space cult, maybe, or something Tom Cruise and John Travolta were involved in, and mostly harmless and, you know, quirky, weird. They'd seen South Park. They thought it was ridiculous. But nobody really thought, at least not that I was aware of as a Scientologist and have have learned since, very few people, if anybody, really thought that Scientology was something that was dangerous or that was toxic or that was something that was ruining people's lives. That information had not really gotten out there yet. And Anonymous changed everything. And uh, because it was such a big movement, it got international attention. There was no way the media could avoid it. I mean, they, they could have ignored it, but they, they definitely didn't. And so um, it created a space where all these people who had been speaking out for all these years, and some of them had been ruined utterly. Some of them had been destroyed by Scientology, but there were still others who were carrying on the fight. And it, it, it gave them space and room and breathing room and, and an ability to get out there. And, and because of strength in numbers, they were able to bring their truth and speak their you know, truth to power about what had happened to them and what Scientology was really all about. And so... That changed the whole uh, public view and awareness of Scientology. And it now started being seen as something dangerous and something that was uh, ruining people's lives when they got involved with it. And, uh, and this, of course, was the beginning of you know, a lot of hue and cry against Scientology by the general public. Now... What I thought I would talk about here at the last bit here is my own experiences with it after I got off the RPF and through, through, to, through the rest of 2008, I worked at Bridge Publications. And so I was bussed off the base every morning to go to work and make books, and then I'd be bussed back at the end of the night. So I wasn't around on the base at all for the rest of 2008, or randomly, very, very randomly here and there. Um, so I saw some protesters through the rest of the year, but not a lot. And we bought these, you know, shore stories that we were given, and that was about all that we really thought about it. Until in 2009, I started going out to the outer orgs, the local city churches, and I started doing, because I was doing recruitment for the Sea Org. I was getting new members. And the first place I went, or one of the first places I went, was Seattle, Washington. And there's video of me. Uh, the very first video that ever went up that I was in on Karen Dela Carrier's Surviving Scientology channel has me in a Sea Org dress uniform showing up in Seattle. Well, who was filming me? Anonymous was. Protesters at Seattle Org. And uh, I think this was January or February of 2009. And, uh, and I, I saw the protesters, but I had already been conditioned and told that, you know, you ignore them. You don't pay any attention to them. Don't give them the time of day. Don't even give them the satisfaction of looking at them, right? So I just sort of smiled and sort of looked the other way. And, and, and you can see that video if you want. I'll probably put a link to it in the show notes. My view as an individual Scientologist and Sea Org member of these protests, was that it was kind of a fantastic waste of time on the part of the protesters. We really didn't understand as 
the the drone Sea Org members like me, we weren't really getting what this whole protest thing was all about. It didn't really make a lot of sense to us. I was out and about for all of 2009. I was off base most of the year, uh, going from one city church to another. I went from Seattle to Portland to Twin Cities to you know various other places. And through 2009, and I think even into 2010, both in Seattle and then later in um, Minnesota, or what I remember most, I ran into these protesters out there. I mean, at the Twin Cities Church one day, they were out there all day on a Saturday, blasting music out of a boombox, dancing around in the street, wearing the Guy Fox mask, carrying signs, and just jumping around and being generally disruptive. And um, the signs that they, that I was avoiding looking at the signs because they had confidential words and information on them that I didn't want to expose myself to. Xenu was a, was a, you know, confidential word. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know anything about that stuff. Um, and I didn't want to know because I was of the belief that that information was dangerous to me. So that information on signs scared me. And other things that were on the signs just sort of bounced off of me. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. And I never engaged with them. A couple times, the protesters tried to engage with me, both in Seattle and later in Twin Cities. And I was not going to have any of it. I just ignored them. Put my head down, you know, just walk around them or or avoid them or go out the back or whatever. Um, And I really resented, you know, their presence. Uh, because they were so loud, they were disrupting the classrooms and they were disrupting the auditing sessions that were going on. And we couldn't even have anybody really go in for auditing on that day because they were making so much noise. And uh, really what we kind of thought was, well, they must not, you know, they, they, they must not like us or something. And so, you know, but why? Because we're just, we're, you know, the thing, the, the thing for me was I was like, well, we're good people and we're doing good work here and we're just trying to help people. Why would anybody protest that? Right? Because we didn't know when we were in the bubble world of, you know, I didn't know about any of the abuses <laughs> or I didn't. I should say, I should clarify this, actually, because, of course, I did know about the abuses, but I didn't look at it that way. You know, this is what's so funny about the mind control and indoctrination and the power of belief. The, you know, this is why I like Lawrence Wright's take on Scientology so much as a prison of belief. Because when you believe something, man, you can forgive just about anything. And I believed in the goodness of Scientology. I had just finished a three-year program of intensive levels of abuse, but I didn't look at it that way because I thought I had deserved it, right? And at the time, I thought I had earned all that abuse. I thought that, you know, me getting through that RPF program was my atonement for my sins, you know? Uh, That wasn't all that I thought about it because I was also pretty disaffected with the organization by that point, too. So it was a, I had all kinds of cognitive dissonance going on in my head. But the overriding theme for me of Scientology was that it was a good thing. So the protesters, you know, like I said, just didn't really make a lot of sense to me. However, there were a couple signs that did get through and did even, and reached me. And made me think about some things. And, and, and the reason I'm going to mention this is because I, 
if I just said that I didn't pay any attention and tried to ignore the protests, um, that would make it look like these protests are no good, that they don't do any good. And that's not true. They are effective. They are helpful when they are done right. And the signs that kind of got through to me were the ones that were asking questions. And they were asking sharp and pointed questions about things that I could relate to. I can't, I couldn't relate to Xenu. I didn't know anything about it. I couldn't relate to heavy abuses. Like, like if I saw a sign that said David Miscavige beats his staff, I, I would not have believed that, right? Because I was too heavily into the mindset. But questions like, how much did you get paid this week? Now, that question got through to me because I hated the fact that I was, you know, not only making at most $50 a week. Money was a real problem for me as a Sea Org member. So, and as a staff member too, because I knew the staff weren't getting paid and the staff should be paid. And I hated the fact that the staff weren't paid. So that sign was something that got through to me, right? Um, I think there were one or two others and I just can't, and I've, I've been really, you know, had my thinking cap on, but I could not remember exactly what they said, but they were, but what I do remember, and I remember this very clearly was that that they that they asked questions that got through to me at a very basic level and they planted seeds of doubt and those seeds did grow <laughs> they did germinate and they did grow in my head because by 2012 I was out right it took 4 years but I got out um and that and those protests helped me get out, right? 2008, 2009, 2010 um, is when I saw these things happening. So I wanted to encourage everybody out there who might be listening to this today during the day of protest or, you know, in future endeavors that these protests can work and they can be very effective at planting seeds. And if you look at a protest, I think from that point of view, then I think you can then I think you can make them as effective as possible by putting together signs, placards, questions, and be prepared to ask Scientologists questions uh, if they will engage or if they will come within earshot that just poke at and create doubts and, and uncertainty, right? Because the thing about Scientologists is they are certain, and they are certain. That they're right, everybody else is wrong, nobody understands Scientology. If you only understood what Scientology is, then you would be a Scientologist, right? There are so many crazy assumptions made within the world of Scientology about people. And one of those assumptions is that everybody is a Scientologist, they just don't know it yet. And everybody would become a Scientologist immediately if they understood what Scientology is. So the task of Scientologists is to communicate that information out there and, and, and turn people into Scientologists. So that's what they think. Um, so if you, as a protester, can, can chink, you know, can enter some, some, some doubts into that, you know, suit of armor, can, can get some things through that, then you're doing the best possible work you could poss- you could do, okay? Uh, one protest, uh, you know, even a series of protests is not going to turn Scientologists against Scientology. 
I think really the best you can do is try to enter in those seeds of doubt. And, um, and I think that those, you know, I think questioning those basic points is the way to go about doing it. All right. So that all being said, um, I hope that there is a lot of protesting going on today. I hope that uh, there's a lot of voices being raised against Scientology still, uh, either, you know, within the anonymous group, which has, you know, really moved on since 2008. But if, you know, if they can put some rallies together, I think that would be awesome. And I think that it does help. And I think that Scientology has been doing nothing but shrinking since that time. In fact, it's been in free fall ever since then. Uh, Anonymous definitely brought the heat, and they brought it in a great way. And they made it so much easier for me and all of the current wave of critics and ex-members to do what we do in a much safer and uh, more secure environment than we would have had 10 years ago or, you know, uh, 20 years ago or whatever, um, where we would have been destroyed for doing I, I mean, I never would have survived as long as I have as a critic with this kind of channel and this kind of information that I put out. The church would have just squashed me. Uh, and they have the means to do that, right? So, um, so I'm very happy that, uh, that things have gone the way that they have and that I'm able to, you know, speak the way that I can now to you guys because of what Anonymous did. Anonymous is not the single source of all, you know, that has happened, but they were a big part of this. And, uh, and this show is, a is kind of my effort to put a, a, a big, huge cherry on the top of all of the acknowledgement I've already given on this subject. So that all being said, I hope you guys found this educational, informative, and entertaining. Please leave any comments uh, you have about anything I've said here. And of course, if I got anything wrong, be sure to correct me. <laughs> I don't even have to tell you guys that. You'll do it. Um, but leave any comments uh, in the description, in the sorry, in the comment section on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com where, you know, I post these podcasts. Thanks for coming around, and I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.